You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience on this fine Tuesday, May the 21st. And we are back in the house today to give you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God, even though I'm only operating probably at 40, maybe 50% capacity today, uh, woke up with a massive, massive headache. I don't know what the deal is. Um, I had crazy dreams about cartels last night because I was speaking to a friend as I was falling asleep about the cartels. <laughs> and um, you know, my wife was up late doing work. So I was just kind of in bed alone, you know, really tired, waiting for her to finish. But then, you know, she had she had a project she was working on. She uh, she still only works, you know, part time, but once in a while gets a project, has to work late, um, was on the computer downstairs. And then I just I just fell asleep and the whole night I was in shootouts with the cartels. <laughs> and I woke up with a massive headache and just kind of feeling a little little bit under the weather. So I've been really slow today, really slow on the take. Um, my Twitter account might be a little slower today than usual, but still a lot to talk about. And I was thinking, certainly after yesterday's show, which was really terrific. If you haven't heard it, it's episode 415. We had Dan Vara on the show, um, probably one of the biggest experts on immigration law in the country. He has the most experience dealing with the previous bogus asylum waves in this country, which were a fraction of what we're seeing today. And yet you, you never see him anywhere. I was the biggest show he's been on. And while this show is growing and I'm thankful for it, that's a problem. <laughs> if this is the biggest show a guy like that is on. But that's the thing. So I guess even with being half under the weather here, we're still going to be more on message than really any other show here. And, you know, a lot of people are focused on impeachment, Justin Amash. Maybe if we have time, we're going to get to how that is the Houthis versus Al-Qaeda and why I'm not getting involved in that. A lot of people saying the right things for the wrong reasons, wrong reasons for, you know, wrong things for the right reasons. Um, both sides are wrong, really, in that. And it's a distraction. If you want to talk about impeachment, I think the border really is grounds for impeachment, if you ask me. Where is our asylum? That's what I want to know. Where are we able to run away to? To have a country where we're not going to have MS-13, where we're not going to bring in Islamist problems, where we could operate free market health care, where our children aren't going to have to pay off the debt. Where is our asylum? Thomas Paine always referred to America in the revolutionary era as the asylum for all mankind. Now, asylum didn't mean a dumping ground as it means today. It meant a place for rugged individuals to get away from tyranny. I was thinking as I was reading these articles about towns from Guatemala emptying out, completely emptying out, and they're all coming here. So the funny thing is that there's nobody left in some of these towns to do the persecution, right? We're told that they're fleeing persecution. Well, there's no one left to do the persecution because, frankly, all the persecutors are coming here. They're all coming here. You know, it hit me hard here in Maryland. I don't live exactly where you have you know, MS-13. It's more in the southern part of the state. But um, I will tell you, it is loaded with MS-13. Montgomery County, PG County, all the D.C. suburbs. In fact, the NBC affiliate in, in uh, Washington recently did a show on tracking MS-13 in the D.C. region. And
And, you know, they're talking about all these gruesome killings. We just had three um, MS-13 members, including a 14-year-old girl uh, butcher someone to death. And we have another case in Frederick. Frederick used to be a beautiful Western Maryland small town. Those of you from this area know what I'm talking about. You know, you had the I-95 corridor, which is always a cesspool for crime and, you know, po large populations and all sorts of issues that are endemic of urban areas. But then you have, on top of that, you know, all the liberal policies and everything. But you had Western Maryland, which is more conservative, nice areas, the mountains. Now it's full of MS-13, full of MS-13 in Frederick, Maryland. Um, they're coming everywhere. There's no place for us to get away from this. So the big news yesterday, you might have seen, was that a sixth Guatemalan died in ICE custody of, of pneumonia or the flu. So the media makes sure we know the name and the number count of everyone who dies of natural causes in our custody for after breaking into the country on the backside of a perilous journey where they're often starved and dehydrated by the cartels and smugglers. And somehow that's our fault. Now, if you think about it, the fact that they say they take on average 69 people to the hospital a day, and we probably had about a million people pass through their custody over the last year or two, that's, that, that, that's pretty good <laughs> that there's only six. But somehow it's our fault. But you know the number count we never have is how many 16-year-olds are killed by illegal aliens, whether Americans or other illegals. These cases in Maryland were likely other illegals killed. We don't have the ability to stop everyone from dying of health concerns when they come up after a perilous journey. But we do have the ability to stop people from dying at the hands of illegal aliens, because that is the job of our government. So before we get to what happened in Maryland, let's just set the record straight about where the president came from and what he has promised and truly, truly what we are up against, because I think this is really, really important. On June 16th, 2015, Trump gave a speech that will live on in infamy. Really did. That was the announcement of his very unorthodox campaign. Came down that escalator at Trump Tower. And one of the first things he says is that, when do we beat Mexico at the border? They're laughing at us, at our stupidity. And now they're beating us economically. They are not our friend, believe me. But they're killing us economically. The U.S. has become a dumping ground for everybody else's problem, problems. It's true. And these are, are the best and the finest. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you uh, people, uh, whatever, the transcript is a little messed up here. They're sending people that have lots of problems and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're bringing rapists, and, and some, I assume, are good people. Okay. I think you all know we would die. We would crave to go back to June 2015 levels of America being a dumping ground. Okay. We, we would die to go back to that level. Very simple, plain and simple. There were 38,000 apprehensions then. And very for, few were being released because the detention facilities, as a result of the numbers not being that high, weren't full. You still have the UACs being released. We'll get to that in a minute. But at the end of the day, what's very clear is that what's happening now is three times worse. So I just want you all to know that we can make excuses, we could see who to blame, but at the end of the day, it's truly tragic. Four years later, the degree of dumping in America is three times worse 
after what seemed like a pipe dream of Trump becoming president has been a reality for nearly two and a half years. That's something to think about, just in terms of measuring the ground we've gained or, gained or lost. He promised we wouldn't be a dumping ground. The reality is we've become a dumping ground. As I mentioned yesterday, I didn't have time to talk about this because we, we had a guest on, but it turns out that they're not sending illegals to Florida and Palm Beach, County, Palm Beach counties and Broward County. But the problem is they are sending people. They put out a statement giving you the impression that they're only dumping people along the border. They're only moving them to other facilities. But the reality is then once they get sent there, after a week or so, they're let go and they're released into the United States. And they go to the interior. Hundreds of thousands of them. So the only thing they're not doing is just carte blanche right away having a mass airlift. But the result is the same. And in fact, I would rather us have an airlift. If we can't get them to do the right thing at the front end, make it bad enough that it's so evident that the people rise up. The problem is it's too subtle. You don't see it in the form of 2,000 displaced people coming at once. You see it very quietly, one by one. And you see it show up in the community in terms of MS-13 gang activity, more drugs, more machete attacks, more break-ins. But even those things don't get reported often as illegal aliens, much less those very family units and UACs that were released. So it never, it never gets back to that. But that's a d dirty little secret. The dumping is taking place every day. All because, oh, they need an asylum. Well, here's a dirty little secret. We don't, we're the ones who need the asylum now. We're the ones who need the asylum. So I can now break for you a story that those of you who saw the actual case probably suspected this to be true. But I could break for you now that the case in Maryland, that latest MS-13 attack, and they're hard to keep track of because there's so many of them. You had this 14-year-old girl found beaten to death with a machete and a baseball bat in Riverdale, uh, Prince George's County, Maryland. PG County, Maryland has become a hotbed, a cesspool for MS-13 activity. Okay? So this was last week, May 16th, the police arrested three people for the murder of this 14-year-old girl. Josu Rafael Fuentes Ponce, 16, Joel Ernesto Escobar, 17, and unbelievably, a 14-year-old girl, Ariana Funes Diaz, when they found the body of this girl, Cynthia Hernandez Nuncamendi, I'm probably not pronouncing it right, in a wooded area in, in Riverdale, this community near Hyattsville, Maryland, PG County, just a hotbed for this stuff. It, th that area is worse than any area or as bad as any area that you'll find in Honduras and El Salvador. That, that's the joke. So we all know this is all about illegal immigrant family chain migration and economic reasons and welfare. But when they need to make up a story, they say, oh, my son's going to be forced to enter a gang there. <laughs> what a joke. They come here and they enter the gangs. They come here to the very same communities where you have the very same gangs. So when you, when you see all these stories about these communities in Guatemala, El Salvador being emptied out, now, now I guess you know why the homicide rate is actually going down in these countries while they're going up here.
Because when you bring in hundreds of thousands of people from homogenous places, young males and now young females too do this, you're going to be bringing in those very problems that you say you're helping people escape from. Now, I don't know the legal status of the victim. They're never going to say that. But, you know, based on the name, the circumstances and location, the hyphenated name, which usually means Central American as opposed to Mexican, recent arrival, probably an illegal. Not for sure. But how many... uh, Forget about Americans, because it's not, you know, politically correct to care about Americans killed by illegals. But other illegals... So we have this count. Six, you know, six people have died from flu and dehydration in ICE custody. Yeah, after making the most dangerous trek under the worst circumstances, hundreds of thousands of them, that's actually a pretty good ratio. But how many illegals, before we even get to Americans, die as a result of these very catch-and-release policies? So that's the baseline that you probably already knew about. What you didn't know about, but probably suspected, is that the two males are illegal aliens that were recently, relatively recently, dumped into Maryland. And worse than that, they were previously arrested and charged, not just with other crimes, but with murder a year ago, were let go. ICE detainers were ignored, and they went on to kill someone else. So while we cannot save every last person who comes here sick from Central America, nor is it our responsibility, but you sure as heck could prevent every murderer from committing a subsequent murder who's an illegal alien. So we've talked a lot about how so many of these illegal alien murderers or those who commit other crimes were previously arrested for other crimes. And that no matter what your vision of immigration is, of illegal immigration is, everyone should agree that the minute someone who's here illegally is arrested for a particular crime, they should be out of here. I mean, that, that that's obvious. And again, because the fact is most criminals are career criminals, especially the young gang members, they're gonna be doing 50 different crimes in a month. You're arrested for one thing. You're going to be doing a lot of other things. But if you get them out immediately after that, it is the perfect case of redressability. It's the ultimate avoidable. Oh, man, what could we do to prevent more kids from dying? Well, I'll tell you what you could do. So here's the story. Let's go with the first guy. Fuentes, 16. He came as part of a family unit in Texas on December 23rd, 2015. The family was ultimately paroled into the U.S. pending the outcome of the immigration case. Of course, they got to the case roughly 15 months later, March 16, 2017. Ordered removed in absentia, but it was too late. Ready disappeared. So when you hear all these people, all these downtrodden family units, I want you to know. When this family came in, okay, when this family came in, this kid was 12, 13, maybe 12 years old, downtrodden, oh my gosh, that's what the media is focusing on now. But like I tell you, yesterday's 12, 13-year-old boy that you see at the border is tomorrow's MS-13 member. Settled in Maryland, PG County. But that's not the end of it. That would be bad enough. But on March 16th, 2017. No, I'm sorry. Um, Got it wrong. Well, let, let me, before we go to that, let, let me go on to the other guy, Escobar. Escobar, 17. He came in on August 23rd, 2016. They're both from El Salvador. He came in near McAllen, Texas, and he was at a UAC, an unaccompanied juvenile. He was transferred to the custody of the Office of Refugee Resettlement and later released to a family member in Washington, D.C. Okay, I have this from ICE's Baltimore office. 
so again, there's no difference between Escobar and Fuentes. You realize that. It's just one had his family didn't have the family already here and they came together. One had the family here and smuggled their own kid in. Com- criminal conspiracy and they get rewarded and he gets resettled as a UAC. Okay. So then they were both released. One is a family unit, one is a UAC. Classic. Both of them were involved in some sort of gang murder. May 11th, 2018, they were arrested. That's almost exactly a year ago. So they were together as part of MS-13. Prince George's County Detention Center. Fuentes was charged with attempted first-degree murder and related charges. Escobar was arrested for attempted first-degree murder, attempted second-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, participation gang activity, and other related charges, according to the ICE spokeswoman I spoke to. So what happened? In the case of Fuentes, the case was remanded to juvenile court, after which the Maryland Department of Juvenile Services failed to honor that detainer, and Fuentes was released without notification to ICE. Escobar as well, the police released without notification to ICE. So, now you might be asking another question. Well, how are they, okay, fine, you didn't, they didn't turn them over to ICE, but they were charged with murder. How did they get out to commit another murder? Well, Escobar was convicted of conspiracy to commit robbery on March 15th, 2019, just two months ago. So he was sentenced to five years, I believe, but like they suspended the sentence and his time served. I don't understand exactly if it was on bond or what time served, but he was out. So they only convicted him on robbery and he was out. And within two months, murder someone else. And now he's in there. Ice as a detainer on both of them. You understand that this is jailbreak mixed with the lie of UACs, mixed with the lie of family units, mixed with the lie of fleeing gangs, mixed with the lie of sanctuary cities. All of this comes together. Everything you and I have spoken about together for the last number of months. So first, just on the criminal justice note, just forget about immigration status. Let's say their names were John Smith. Okay, Americans, born and bred here. Just the fact that you see Forget about robbery and assault and drug trafficking and DUI injury and manslaughters. I mean, they're let out again and again and again and again. Okay? Again and again and again and again. But even when they're charged with first-degree murder or attempted murder as gang members, they are let out especially as juveniles, we will not lock up juveniles in this country. So that's just a general thing that you see is endemic of our entire criminal justice system. So this notion that, oh, we're locking up too many nonviolent... For every one you could find me, I'll show you 20 of these MS-13 animals that we just let go. And then that's before we get to the citizenship. But then there's the fact that, all right, if we're going to have a leaky system where we let people go, at least... Let's get rid of the criminal aliens and deport them so we don't have issues. And that's where it comes in that even after, you know, this is not, okay, a low-level crime. Even after attempted murder, MS-13 member, they know they're MS-13 members, they ignore the detainers. And, and the thing is, they kicked ICE out of their jails. So, basically, they have no ability ICE has no staff in PG County. Precisely in the jurisdictions where they need them, um, precisely at that moment and at that place is where we can't have them. Suddenly, states are so strong to thwart federal law enforcement. They can't regulate abortion. They can't regulate abortion clinics. 
But let me tell you, they could thumb their noses at the federal government's ability to deal with transnational uh, gangsters. I was the first person to ask ICE about the immigration status. Any local Baltimore or D.C. reporter that covered this, there were a few, they know exactly what lives in that area. They know exactly the dynamic. You see the names. You see the story. You see MS-13. And they didn't... I was the first person to ask. I hear the White House is going to issue some sort of statement on this. But they couldn't even release this information until someone asked about it, and I was the first person to ask. And I will tell you, I miss so many of these cases, and these are murder cases. God knows the misery you could commit short of murder that goes undocumented. You want to talk about a body count? Oh, six, uh, you know, undocumented immigrants die in ICE custody. Well, ICE apprehends 2,000 murders a year who are foreign nationals. Massive percentage of the overall murder committed in this country. But there's another important thing here with the UACs. I was told that essentially ICE will not go after UACs. Do you know how dangerous that is? Do you understand how dangerous that is? That you have all these ticking time bombs who are gang members, and they're going to commit so much crime, and they can't go after them. They only got this because it was swept up in a broader thing. The other guy was a family unit. But the thing is, what people forget is the misinterpretation of the UAC statute is the most dangerous thing because these other people officially are illegals. So at least if they commit a crime, we'll get rid of them. These people... If you're resettled as a UAC, you're treated like a legal immigrant now. You get a green card. So then you're subject to the laws of deportability for green card holders, which means that you have to have been convicted of a crime above a certain threshold. As you all know and see, they're barely convicted even on the worst things. Meaning, normally, you see an illegal, you don't need to wait for a conviction. You see they're charged for something. you can get rid of them. You can get rid of them if they're not charged for something. They're here illegally. But if you're a legal immigrant, which we're giving them legal status, well, that's a different story now. So basically, all these MS-13 Central American kid punks, all these kids, we basically can't do anything until they wind up, until it's too late and someone's dead. There's a lot of warning signs. They're picked up on drugs, other gang activity. They'll just be released. And that's even if they cooperate with ICE. In this case, there was they were charged with attempted murder a year ago, and they let them go. You know, Rod Rosenstein, of all people, he before he was Deputy Attorney General, he was U.S. Attorney from Maryland. And he said something very interesting last year. He said... We're letting in gang members, but we're also letting in people who are vulnerable. Many of these alien children have no parents, no family structure. We're releasing them into communities where they're vulnerable to recruitment by MS-13. And so many, and so some of these kids who come in without any gang ties develop gang ties as a result of the pressure that they face from people that they confront in the communities. That's what we've turned Maryland into. I, I want you to understand There are about one and a half million Salvadorans in this country. That is roughly equivalent of 22% of its homeland's population. 22%. Do you understand the degree of, of gangsters we brought in? And here's the big lie about this whole thing. This is from the Washington Post about a year ago. They did a report last year on on a, quote, overwhelmingly Hispanic school in Prince George's County, Maryland, where MS-13 would, quote, sell drugs, draw gang graffiti, and, and aggressively recruit students recently arrived from Central America, according to two more 
according to more than two dozen teachers, parents, and students. It was so bad that, quote, most of those interviewed asked not to be identified for fear of losing their jobs or being targeted by MS-13. In that same article, the Post did an interview with an illegal immigrant woman from Guatemala who has to pay ransom to MS-13 not to be killed, and how she felt she was living with the very elements she fled. She was living in the U.S. for 10 years, but things changed around the DACA surge when MS-13 was on the rebound, fueled by... So the DACA surge, that was my statement, but from the Washington Post, quote, when MS-13 was on the rebound, fueled by fresh recruits from, from an unprecedented wave of almost 200,000 unaccompanied minors from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. Could you imagine the crime wave that will result from roughly a million coming in over this past year? Okay? Where is our asylum? That's what I want to know. So those of us who live near urban areas, I-95 corridor, let's say the Northeast, you're thinking, man, you know, you're going to get overrun. Baltimore, D.C. area. All right, so we're going to have to become asylees, and we're going to have to move out to areas away from the metropolises that are just saturated with all these problems. Well, here's a story. Police say a body found under a Washington, D.C. bridge is that of missing Maryland teen. District police on Friday told news outlets that the body has been identified as 16-year-old Eberson Guerra Sanchez of Frederick, Maryland. It's from U.S. News and World Report, um, AP, AP article. Um, Frederick Police Lieutenant Kirk Henenberry says Guerra Sanchez was reported missing on April 26th. The next day, police found the teen's body near the Potomac River. Tuscarora High School principal Christopher Berry says Guerra Sanchez was a ninth grader at the school. And they go on to juxtapose this to the killing of the, uh, another one. They say the body was found near the bridge near the Potomac without a hand on it. Now, we don't have an assailant on this one. We just have the victim. But based on the name and the circumstances, you know, it was another MS-13 attack, which reminded me of the fact that Frederick, Maryland has now become a DC cesspool. You know, growing up in B the Baltimore area, we always looked at Frederick as the refuge from all this. Nice scenery in the mountains or near the mountains, rural county. Um, you know, you don't have all the problems that you have with the city as a crime. They have tons of MS-13 activity there. That's what Sheriff Jenkins has been dealing with for a number of years by now. There's nowhere to go. And, and this is the thing. Somehow, it's like, it doesn't matter. When illegals commit murder or Americans die, it doesn't matter. It's only if an illegal dies of natural causes, self-inflicted, then it's our fault. Okay? Then suddenly, it's our fault. Next case. One of our listeners, Vicky, keeps updating me on this. Thanks for your updates. And by the way, send me your stories. I mean, I'm not going to see all this stuff throughout the country. You know, all these criminal alien type of crimes or from, you know, groups that we've seated in this country. Um, this is from Alpha News, Minnesota. About an incident of teens running loose in Minnesota. Well, you think Minnesota is a nice, uh, quiet state. Upper Midwest, far away from the coasts. Well, <clears throat> there was a case in University of Minnesota police said that U of M, poli uh, U of M police report indicated th that there were seven juveniles causing a disturbance on the light rail platform and that two of the juveniles had pipes in their hands. The email stated that two juveniles were arrested and cited for disorderly conduct fleeing police and false information to police, and they were transported to the juvenile detention center. Of course, because the suspects are juveniles, no further information about the identities or cases will be made available. 
but originally they reported that there were a mob of 10 males wielding hammers. There was a 911 call uh, last Friday night, 10 p.m. And it was a group of 8 to 10 males chasing people with hammers. Now, look, this uh, this is just, I have to verify it. They're quoting from a Facebook post, so I can't, you know, it's not definitive, so just take it with a grain of salt. They say that a Minneapolis scanner page said that the three police departments were responding to multiple 911 calls about 10 to 12 Somali teen males armed with hammers chasing people. person who claimed on social media to have been at the station when the incident occurred said the group of males had hammers and bars and that they seemed to be attacking anyone who looked like they had money or were white. Um, look, you know, I, I can't verify this for sure, but I will tell you, certainly if it is true, the media is not going to report on it. Legacy media. Because I've learned that enough from the illegal immigration issues. So really, if we turn <clears throat> our less populated states and less <clears throat> developed counties into cesspools, <clears throat> and not just cesspools from our domestic problems, which we have many of, you know, even if you take immigration out of the equation, we certainly have plenty of problems in our big cities with our own youth, do we really need to import the world's problems, the most violent cultures of Somalia, of Central America? Pretty unbelievable. But again, all we care about is the fact that over the course of like over a million Central Americans coming under the most perilous circumstances, six of them died in ICE custody of illness that they undoubtedly contracted under the worst circumstances through the smuggling experience where they often locked them in containers in, in truck containers for hours on end in the, in the stifling heat. Now, CBP is defending themselves by saying, no, no, you don't understand. We, we bring uh, 69 people a day on average to, the hospital, and what is it they say? More than 121,000 hours have been spent in hospitals monitoring subjects in custody. Who's paying for this? Or does it even matter? Does the American government exist for the American people? I mean, that's what I want to know. Because it's sure hard to tell. Which leads me to our next story. Oh, by the way, before we get to that, just so you know, breaking now, McConnell is suggesting that before the end of the day, they might reach a negotiation on raising the debt ceiling again and busting the budget caps. No, that's not going to be for you and me. That's not going to be for those of us that merely don't want to be regulated and overtaxed but don't want subsidies. We just want to sink or swim on our own volition. We just don't want our kids to be saddled with endless debt. No, we don't matter. Special interests matter, particularly if you're of the foreign ilk, then you really matter. But that brings me to healthcare. Very interesting story I thought you guys should know from CaliforniaHealthLine.org. As ER wait times grow, more patients leave against medical advice. One of the things we were promised under Obamacare was that because everyone's just going to be magically covered, you know, like insurance somehow equals health care, and we're going to hand it out and subsidize everyone, basically, you know, ad hoc universal uh, health care, so at least we won't have to worry about the ERs. The problem with you know people flooding the ER for emergency care, or even often it's not emergency. They they use it for you know primary care often because they're not covered and they clog up the system. Well, don't worry because here we go. We are good. Um, and uh, don't worry, Obamacare is going to fix it all. 
and now the ERs will be good because everyone's going to be properly covered. And oh, all those illegal aliens, don't worry. Um, you know, don't worry about them. They're not the issue. Don't worry about illegals. Well, it turns out if you look at the course of time where Obamacare was implemented, the Office of Health Planning and Development in California, they found that there were 352,000 incidents of California ER patients leaving early before their medical care was complete because they were fed up with the time. That's a 57%. So that was in 2017. 57% increase from 128,000 for from uh, 224,000 in 2012. Another 322,000 would-be patients left the emergency room without seeing a doctor, up slightly from 315,000 such episodes in 2012. Several hospital administrators, administrators said overcrowding is the likely culprit. California emergency room trips grew by almost 20%, or 2.4 million from 2012 to 2017. 20%. Okay? There are 20% more visits from 2012 to 2017. Hmm. What do you think happened in between then? Think about that for a minute. One of the big talking points of Obamacare flopped. But again, Republicans have stopped litigating politically the case against Obamacare. It's clear that illegals are flooding the ERs. When, when, when ICE tells us that while they're in custody, they have so many problems, health problems, that they need to spend 121,000 hours with them. Now, again, a lot of that is immediate problems from the journey. But you got to believe that we're going to be saddled with that in the coming you know, over the years. And that's what happened since then. Moreover, they say ER wait times also increased for many during that same period. In 2017, the median ER wait time for patients before admission as inpatients to California hospitals was 336 minutes or more than five and a half hours. That is up 15 minutes from 2012. California wait times remain higher than the national average. In 2017, the median length of a stay in the ER before inpatient admission nationwide was 80 minutes shorter than the median stay in California. Four states, Maryland, New York, New Jersey, and Delaware, had even longer median wait times. Gee, Maryland, we just talked about what has come to Maryland, New York, New Jersey. Okay, Delaware, I don't know about that much. And you look at the map, they have a map there, Florida and Arizona and North Carolina are up a lot. Look, there are going to be other factors. But this is the big deal in healthcare we'll never talk about. If we're debating over our own impoverished people how to cover everyone and this and that, why are we importing the most impoverished people that according to DHS officials never lived in sanitary conditions and weren't exposed to basic medical care. So that's just something that I thought you should know. But, you know, Republicans, don't worry. They're about to forge a deal to pass another um, massive spending increase and they'll put even more funding in there for healthcare of UACs. <laughs> you, you can't make this stuff up paying for the rope to hang ourselves with. You just can't. I guess we'll pay for the emergency room visits of the rival MS-13 gang machete attacks. So next time you wait in a Maryland hospital, just know there might be a machete attack or attacker online before you. In the remaining time, I just wanted to get into 
healthcare a little bit now that we've transitioned from the immigration angle just in general. Like evildoers who grope in the dark. As King David talked about, groping in the dark. They don't see you. They don't see God. They don't see the truth. Everyone's big on this new trend of introducing their new plan to lower prescriptions and healthcare costs. So Senator Lamar Alexander said he plans to release on Thursday draft legislation meant to lower healthcare costs. All the proposals in the draft will be bipartisan, he said, according to Congressional Quarterly. Okay, so one of the big things you're seeing, just this general trend, we're talking about emergency rooms. We're talking about, you know, this trend with the White House and Congress on the need to pass legislation to lower... To, to to create price controls on surprise billing. They call it surprise ER billing where a bunch of services were rendered there and some of them were at a network and they're not covered by your insurance and you get a massive bill for it. And they want to clamp down on it. And it's wildly popular because people really don't like it. But as we've noted so many times on so many issues, the left creates 70% socialism. But people forget what caused the ill effects that they don't like. And then they seamlessly glide in as the arsonists who become the firefighters to say, hey, this is outrageous. We need price controls. Well, why are the why is the market pricing? mechanisms not working to begin with. Well, it's because of what you did. So everyone's trying to grope in the dark. Well, do we you know, ban these surprise billings and, and lower the prices? What do we do? Um, man, how is this going to work? So... I don't know what to say. You give the insurance cartel a monopoly over our health care. So they have a monopoly. I don't know what, what you want. You're going to have problems. You're just going to have problems. Period. Okay? Now... You could go and take the monopoly you gave and try to put price controls. And it's just going to pop up at you somewhere else. It's like putting pressure on a balloon. Okay? Trying to bring up this article here because our buddies at AAPS explain this very well. Um, Where is this? And I'm really proud of them for pushing back against this because this this is like a bipartisan fad. All the surprise billing. Our buddies at AAPS, American Association of Physicians and Surgeons, really the only group I know really pushing for free market health care. So they sent a letter to the president and say, hey, we appreciate what you're doing. You're concerned about the need for honest pricing and that bill should be reasonable. But then they note that surprise billing is an effect, it's it's a very effective emotional appeal, right? This is going to be a very populist issue. But it doesn't accurately describe proposed legislation to impose price controls on physicians and to enable insurers to avoid paying a fair market price. They, They have a very important point here. We're blaming the wrong people. So here's what they say. The basic problem in our view is the existence of networks of providers with whom the health plan has contracted. In the days of indemnity insurance, subscribers could collect a contractually agreed amount and spend it as they chose. Okay, I mean, that's car insurance. That is homeowner's insurance. You have a problem with your home, you have a flood, I'm going to go find the vendor I want and buy it. There was no reason for networks. Free market competition kept prices down. Take note of the prices posted at surgery 
centeroak.com. They give a plug for our friends at the Oklahoma Surgery Center. These are far lower than any that than at many quote nonprofit hospitals. They've been adjusted four times, always downward. Today, managed health plans promise unlimited payouts for all necessary services, but only pay for providers in their increasingly narrow networks. By the way, another legacy of Obamacare, people forget. If they do pay for out-of-network services, the amount is whatever they choose, and physicians bill patients for the balance. Very often, patients must meet a separate higher deductible before the plan pays anything. So people think they're covered. You have, oh, Obamacare, this is great. Oh, whoops, but you have a massive deductible. And whoops, it's only a network. Physicians may be kept out of out by the plans because they provide costly services such as cancer treatment, or physicians may decline to accept the plan's terms. This may be because the allowed fee does not even cover costs because administrative burdens are costly and onerous and or because the plan imposes constraints that prevent for provision, physicians from offering the best care. Hospitals frequently cannot fill their on-call schedules and in-network in physicians. In emergent situations, there is often no in-network provider available. Physicians have no bargaining power with these gigantic plans. The contract is a take-it-or-leave-it contract of adhesion. So to stay in business and offer quality care, physicians stay out of network. If plans are allowed to dictate prices and government forbids balance billing, plans will be dictating what services patients will be able to receive. They just won't provide those services. Price control controls always cause shortages, just as rent control causes a shortage of apartments. Prohibiting free market billing for medical care causes physicians to retire early, work fewer hours, or provide less charity care. This leaves patients worse off. There are certainly examples of outrageous bills, almost all from hospitals that bill uninsured patients at charge master rates. Such bills are rarely paid. This practice greatly inflates the claim losses to maintain the hospital's tax exemption and to increase government reimbursements for uncompensated care. Widespread la lack of meaningful transparency prevents patients from finding out what things really cost, including what the plan or the hospital paid the in-network physician. The rare problem of a physician's bill that is genuinely not warranted does not justify subjecting all physicians to payment terms that would not that they would not voluntarily accept. Such a law protects the managed care cartel. It's funny, I think they got that term from me. Managed care cartel from competition from free agent physicians. Insurance companies want the price controls to avoid their own obligations. Enriching insurance companies does not help patients and will result in even more oppressive contract terms in the future, with patients paying the price of poor access to poor quality service. Please support voluntary arrangements that protect patient access to the med medical care of their choice. This is signed by Dr. Jane Orient. See, doc the doctors aren't the problem. It's the mix of the hospital health administrator conglomerate, conglomerate cartel and the insurance cartel. It's all a matter of this network business. And this is another thing about Obamacare. Increasingly narrow networks. All healthcare should work, or insurance should work like health sharing ministries. There's no network, so you go where you want. And really, ideally, it needs to be exactly what it was in the old days, indemnity payments. Everyone, all 325 million people compete and pay directly for a service. If it's regular, the equivalent of you know, simple homework, work, I mean, work on your home, simple work on your car. You don't go to insurance for that. And if everyone would do that, it would be cheaper. If you didn't have government subsidizing and distorting the market and regulating it. And then, and then things that are truly, you know, insurable that should be you know unforeseeable circumstances you have an emergency you have to go to the er okay you have insurance and everyone all 325 million people would compete everyone would have to compete for their business and you'd have relatively cheap insurance 
So even the worst circumstances, you'd be covered. You might have to pay a certain amount. And that's it. You go where you want. The doctors know the pricing. The hospital knows the pricing. That's what we need. We need price transparency. Everyone knows the prices. Everyone pays single payer. And the people that don't have the money, freaking give them the money. Like I say with food stamps. Structure Medicaid like food stamps. Give them an account and you 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 use it for out of pocket and to buy an insurance plan of your liking and you're like anyone else and you come in, that's single payer in my mind. And the problem goes away. The problem is they're treating the symptom, not the illness. But they're going to exacerbate the illness in doing so. So just, you know, I was thinking with illegals and, and un, uncompensated care, and that's a whole, that's another dimension of the ER problem. But it reminded me of just this general trend that's been going on with them. The House passed the bill on this, and the White House is talking about this. It's very popular. But it's another classic example of our inability to articulate the cause of these problems. We're even more passionate about the problem of surprise billing than than the left is. Except they caused it. And the joke is, meanwhile, hospitals are swimming with cash while rural hospitals are out of business. Because physicians can't own hospitals under Obamacare. So it's all these MedStar and LifeBridge and all these cartels are owning everything. According to Axios, 31 prominent not-for-profit hospital systems for the first three months of 2019, just the first three months, generated $68.5 billion in revenue. I'd love to know how much of that came from the taxpayer. If you would annualize that, that's $274 billion. The combined operating margin was 5.1% compared with 4.5% in the first quarter of 2018. So again, the monopoly is working. It's a joke. The consumer loses every time. But just randomly, indiscriminately shooting price controls into the mix of giving them a monopoly on contracts is exactly, I'm glad they brought up that analogy from rent control. It's exactly the same thing. I'm going to pick up on this maybe a little bit more tomorrow or later this week, but there's a lot lot more on healthcare I just haven't spoken about in a while. Let me know your stories with this, but you know, we all get this surprise billing problems, but again, let's, let's understand what the problem is, the source of the problem. Now, just going back to immigration, there is news that Ken Cuccinelli is being tapped. It's kind of short of this immigration czar position as some sort of other DHS position. Look, full disclosure, I'm friends with him. I'm friends with Mark Morgan, who's going to be ICE director. So I'm going to try to, you know, work with them, talk with them, um, and and we'll we'll see what happens. But going back to the beginning of the show, never forget. Trump promised to fix America becoming a dumping ground. And we've become a worse dumping ground by a margin of three, quantitatively, qualitatively, qualitatively, probably a lot worse than that, on his watch. So there we go. Let's not deny what's going on here. This is really bad news healthcare and immigration healthcare is the linchpin of prosperity markets economy and freedom proper immigration is the linchpin of a society on both those fronts the trends are awfully awfully bad and they're not exactly in our favor anyway send me Again, more information. You see more criminal alien crime not being reported. We're going to try to be one big network of criminal alien crime blotters here because no one else is going to do that work. More and more, I'm seeing I'm the first man at the scene of the crime 
reporting, at least on the immigration aspect of these things. So I'm glad this is coming out. The president, as I'm signing off here, he is supposed to issue a tweet on this. And I'm just looking for this. I don't think it's come out yet, but we'll we'll circle back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for indulging me as always. A little bit slow on the take here, just really under the weather. Hopefully tomorrow will be better. But uh, thank you all for your support. Thank you for your really nice comments and notes. I really appreciate your emails as always. You can always email me at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Till tomorrow, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 